everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of Logan Berry, he comes very highly recommended. Garrett Strickland, David Leo Rice, William Cody Watson, all of them have mentioned his name to me at one time or another, and so I'm glad to finally have him on the show. Logan Berry is the author of Runoff Sugar Crystal Lake from 1111, Transmissions to Our Toe from Selfuck, Nazim Bleeds Green, forthcoming from Plays Inverse, and another TBA project. His essays and interviews have appeared in The Heavy Feather Review, Make Magazine, The Brooklyn Rail, and elsewhere. As a company member and artistic director of The Runaways Lab, he directed theatrical productions that explored the boundaries between performance, poetry, death, disaster, pageantry, and technology. After a dozen years in Chicago working as a writing tutor, call center rep, county jail, GED teacher, and residential treatment facility overnight counselor, he recently became nomadic. If you would like to help the show out in a financial way, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can join my Patreon, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. I'm starting to do live streams every now and again, and I'm posting the VOD for patrons because Twitch doesn't keep them very long. There's also early podcast episodes and a whole bunch of other stuff. You could throw a one-time donation over to paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe, or you could buy my book. It is called Tired. It's on Amazon. You can find it if you search for Tired and my name. Also, how about you subscribe on whatever podcatcher you're listening to and give it five stars if that's the most amount of stars you can make and your podcatcher allows for that. Or just tweet about it or whatever social media you're using when you listen to this show. That's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Logan. I don't want to like start out by picking fights or anything. However, uh, I think definitions are fun to, to argue over sometimes. And one of the blurbs on the back of uh, Runoff Sugar Crystal Lake uh, says that... Um, references your prose and I would argue that this is closer to poetry um, and so I would like to know kind of where you land with regard to that distinction it's a good question um, I want to almost plead the fifth and say I don't know but really I think um, I was definitely approaching these from a more poetic standpoint. Um, I was interested in things like sound. Um, yeah, I would, I would lean towards poetry, although I'm constantly interested in um, attacking mediums and seeing the extent to which they can contain other sensibilities within them. And um, given my background and my lack of, uh, I guess you can say, like, I don't know, official training or something like that, I tend to go into something and see, oh, can I make this theatrical or can I make this um, feel like a film screenplay? But Crystal Lake, to be uh, fair, uh, confuses me to a great extent. And um, it's been fun and helpful to see what other people say it is. Uh, so that's been that's been a joy. So it's really cool to see people tell me what it is. Yeah, and I think uh, is that do you pronounce their name Maurice? Uh, Maurice. Maurice. Okay. 
Maurice Meyer. I'm not familiar. Oh, you know what? I've seen some... I've seen, like, videos of hers and stuff. Um, does she write prose? She writes prose, yes. Okay, cool. Um, because the other two people are poets on on the back of the book. Olivia Kronk and Johannes Jordanson, who have both been on the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I don't, I don't know. Like, I have a hard time... I still feel so unconfident when I when I open up um, a, for lack of better term, experimental book um, to like know what I'm getting into. So like normally it takes me like halfway through the physical book to be like, okay, I think I feel comfortable with what's going on here. Uh, so, you know, it's it's something I, I like to to think about. But one of the things I, I liked about it a lot is that it feels like you were writing from like with like the same sort of sensibilities that I write from when I write poems so which that's another reason why I sort of felt like it was more poemy because when I sit down to write what I call a poem it tends to um come out similar um, like sputter the babbles to the baby talk at lockdown is very similar in like meter and consonance to something that I feel like I would write, um, which endeared me to the work because it felt familiar. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. And I, I think you said just now that like you kind of focus on sound and things like that. So like it felt very much like, and again, this is this is maybe me telling on myself. It felt like a person who listens to a lot of hip hop, uh, writing something that isn't a rap song, um, which is kind of how my poems end out. So, how close am I to to what your experience writing was? Um, yeah, that's very interesting, and I'd love to read your poetry. Um, I loved your piece in Cloaca magazine. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was fantastic, and I'm very curious. We can talk later or on or off the record. It doesn't matter to me. Um, if that's part of a longer work, because I would love to see that. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, um, Crystal Lake is weird because um, of the constantly shifting kind of unifying form of it. Um, many of the earliest drafts of those are upwards of 12 years old. And um, the, the sort of scope of it changed a lot over the years. And uh, it was honestly um, during, I think it was like 2019 or something like that, that the Friday the 13th milieu kind of made sense for it. Mm. Uh, or that's where I was like, oh, where can these poems go? Because the truth be told, I feel like kind of like a fake poet. Um, although I am attuned to forms and stuff like that, I don't excel at that. Um, what else is there to say about that? Um, I, I think... I try to kind of do too much at once, maybe. Um, a lot of these were written on the job uh, during uh, moments after heightened states of emotion or commotion or, or something like that. Um, so 
I love horror movies, so I um, did do my due diligence when the Friday the 13th sort of scaffolding came in and watched all the films. I had mm. seen the 10th one, I think it's the 10th one, Jason in Space, like yeah. ne- many, many times, because um, my dad had a dish growing up with a bootleg um, card in it, so we got all the channels, so I could watch that over and over and over, among some other things. Um, and um so yeah so where did these come from they came from like notebooks there was a lot of taking things out of notebooks and then um and then in terms of hip-hop um yes i do listen to hip-hop uh not a ton i tend to be listening to mood music relating to whatever Usually it's the current play or season that we're in. Like I'm what, or I mean that as like play that I'm working on and then like season of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of rhyminess, um, which is definitely a, a, a wonderful part of, of hip hop. Um, I like think a lot about Gerard Manley Hopkins, Sylvia Plath, these sort of poet characters that incorporate real rhyme and meter into their stuff um because i think it's delightful and um you know um i hope i'm not talking too much but something that's really important to me is um dissonance between form and content and again it's kind of that seeing what the medium can offer or not offer so um like i have found if you do a really experimental play it often or like what i know that that term is somewhat controversial but not normcore not um a kitchen sink drama um mike klein just visited and he's like i hate the idea of going to a play with a suit and tie and just people are up there having their little domestic drama i'm probably inserting some words into his mouth but i echoed that sentiment but stuff that's off the beaten track i tend to want like if it's like really serious or word driven or conceptual that whatever physically is going on, that is like fun or spectacular. And um, it makes the sort of uh, more dreary or self-serious or uh, mechanical stuff more digestible. And like, and then it all becomes kind of ambience. That's how I look at it. I like, I tend to think in images first, mm-hmm. but that's what plays. And I, you can kind of see, I kind of bleed between the two but i don't i don't know if i'll ever do a crystal lake style thing again i think that was definitely um i don't know i don't know what that was but it took a long long ass time to come together yeah and i mean i enjoyed the piece an awful lot that it was a funny oftentimes my wife will ask me about what i'm reading because she's a big literature person herself but we have very differing tastes and so, like, sometimes I'll be reading something aloud um, for the show, and she'll just, she'll, like, have varying reactions to, like, I didn't understand what that was supposed to be to, like, please stop. <laughs> um, and actually, that was only once. It was um, Grant Meyerhofer's gag, mm. which parts of that kind of read like a stroke. Um, mm. So I can understand why she was not a fan of hearing me like suffer through that um 
but she was like, oh, this is a horror thing? And I was like, yeah, kind of. Right. <laughs> kind of kind of a horror thing. Um, it felt um, kind of like touched by the pandemic a little bit. Um, and I guess I don't know how much of that like was prophetic um, if, if so many of the pieces were so old um, or, you know, or what. That's a good question. Um, yeah, it. Um, I got a pretty sweet deal uh, during the pandemic, which was my job paid us to stay home. It was a uh, at that time I was working at a overnight a treatment facility for what they call at risk youth. I don't know exactly what they call them now because they are constantly shifting what the correct thing is. Um, but um, they. They limited the scope of uh, individuals who would be in the facility during the pandemic, and um, they kept us all on. Uh, they kept us all on staff because they once they knew they were going to reopen, they wanted to be sure they had a full staff to to come back. So I had a lot of time during the pandemic, um, and I think that's when I sent out Crystal Lake mm-hmm. um, and added a couple of elements to it. Um, and then when it was accepted and I found out Mike was going to work on it with me. And um, this is a pretty funny story. So it was really small. I was like picturing it kind of like a little detective's notebook, like kind of like loose thoughts. I was kind of picturing like, hmm, maybe it's somebody going to investigate this Crystal Lake thing. And then they're like, hmm, maybe I could turn this into a screenplay or something like that. Um, so it kind of just allows, you know, as much in as possible Um, because I love people's notebooks. I love that kind of like raw kind of, I don't know, unthoughtful, thoughtful stuff. And um, Mike came back in the meeting and was kind of like, what if we do it in like this landscape thing? And, or uh, I guess I should say vertically, like if the, I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, you would flip the book like an actual notebook or something like that. I was like, that's neat. And then sort of like being familiar with his works and proclivities as a designer and a writer. And then also kind of hearing him come with ideas. I'm like, well, do you want to like just go for it? Cause I think it was the pandemic. We had a lot of time and we just went for it and it became something completely different. Um, and like I added 60 pages to it. Uh, we kept, we would do multiple passes and just like, add 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 so it was it was really fun awesome i yeah i sent him a message on discord yesterday when i was reading it and i said just mentioned that i found the book beautiful and he said thanks logan sent me albums and albums of images to riff off of it was very fun um and he mentioned in the episode i did with danica and william about cloak um and we got to get to to rectum at some point um that you like some he's he mentioned some of the like notes you've given him for other projects and stuff um and i just i i love the idea that this space of writers offers that like tinkering with a piece includes like the object itself um I think maybe one of my favorite things about the book's design 
is one of the more subtle things that um, some of the pages look like they have been wet. Um, and that's, it's, it's just like a subtle touch, but I guess it does kind of lend to that like notebook. Like this is, this could be a found object um, that then makes some of the other elements of it um, hit a little bit differently, like screen or screen grabs from, films and um blood splatter and just straight up texture um yeah i don't know where i was going with that but i but i enjoyed it a lot um i appreciate that and i'm apologies my dog is um giving me a little trouble now i think i walked it not too long ago if you want to see him he's pretty cute so um he, uh, okay, yeah, uh, thank you so much for pointing that out. That is um, something I really, really like about it, too. Um, it's hard to remember when we came up with things, but certainly when we started getting real, like, okay, we're going to turn this into a full-form object, we talked a lot about um, wanting it to feel like something you took from Crystal Lake, like a, or a movie prop set or something from the from the camp like you found it near the shore and it's damaged and it's waterlogged so that was a hundred percent um yeah I'm, I'm glad you attuned to that and there's i always think of there's like all these b-side ideas that like didn't make it in that um you know i just i just think i don't know we just really went for it and um some of the things that didn't make it in there i, I think about a lot um like we were i kept sending um Mike, I th I think I sent him images or I kept being like, are you going to put wallpaper textures in this yet? Because I just really wanted like, I don't know, some, some of that like late high 70s um, wallpaper that's sticking around in the in the 80s and, and still sticking around in the where 20, the screaming 20s we're in. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but uh, so we had wallpaper. That was funny. And then I yeah, I always ask people's level of comfort before I send them certain things. Cause I do have a collection of fun items that I think would be interesting in a book. Like there's this fantastic flea market in Chicago. It's on, it's in two neighborhoods. Um, the one I was going to was over there. I think around, it was past the, the Sox stadium. So I think it was at like Ashland and 47th or something like that. Probably farther, but it's called swap hmm. And, uh, it has one interior that goes on all year during the winter, et cetera. And then during the summer, people show up and sell their wares. And it gets a little chaotic in a very fun way. Like people will have puppies. People have stuff they stole off of trucks and, and things like that. And you can get good deals on deodorant and so forth. And I should probably go there and re-up now that I'm <laughs> talking about it. I haven't thought about it in a second. But one of my prized possessions was this mythic... Um, old old school um like uh collection of like porno magazines and um i just found the the staging of them to be really really evocative and um just unlike anything i'd seen before it was certainly before my time so um i got them for a different art project years and years ago but there's this one called i think it's either called sting or spank and it's a spank fetish magazine. And the the it's hard to tell if they're shooting on an actual set or if they've built this set in somebody's house, but the lighting is really creamy 
the backgrounds are purple and the, the edges of this magazine are frayed. Mm. And um, I sent a lot of those to Mike as well. And I think he drew inspiration from the quality of the, the magazine itself. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's just, it is, you're absolutely right, Joe. There's, there's, it's really, really fun to see people who will just go super hard and spend a lot of time. Um, before we started recording, we were talking about, <clears throat> if you don't mind me bringing it up, is it okay? Yeah, go for okay. it. Um, like wanting to see some of the more, would seem like genuinely um, innovative or at least innovative for our era works like in your local target or wherever, wherever. And I totally respect that sentiment because it does feel exciting. And, and especially like someone like Mike Pareo and Mike Klein, like their stuff I feel like has real, I feel like anybody could read it if they gave it a shot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, it's um, not super heady. You know, it's, yeah, it's got exactly. that sort of, yeah, what is that? Like, it does feel like it could be inviting or like, it, it feels like it's subversive to the idea of like, you know, literature, but it still is also that like, oh, there's a lot I could take from this. Yes. Yes. Um, hundred percent. It's very, very welcoming to anybody who's willing to give it a shot. Um, I think. And, um, yeah, but it's be that all as it may, you know, it's cool to be surrounded by people who are so passionate that they'll just go for it anyway. So I, I love that. I, you know, um, perhaps one of my favorite, I don't love allegories all the time. There's a time and a place for them, but one of my favorite, I often think about, for like the kind of art that I like is that scene. Have you ever seen the big Lebowski? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember that little like kind of non sequitur where they go to the neighbor's art performance. Hmm. Maybe like I don't. Dude, it's like the dude's neighbor invites him to in the, in the midst of all the chaos, he invites him to his art show and then they all go to it. I think the dude and Walter go and they're kind of jibber jabbering about whatever issue is going on for them and meanwhile the neighbor is sort of realizing his um dreams for this dance show and he just seems like so uh pleased and so happy and it's so goofy and so overtly arty i just i just really respect and love that kind of stuff um yeah i just i think it's i think it's wonderful and i love that the dude and walter go there and just kind of it feels truthful to the extent that sometimes you go to a goofy avant-garde whatever whatever and then um you know it just is melts into the fabric of just that thing you did that week um and then there's the transformative stuff too and maybe it's all on this part of the same continuum i'd have no idea hmm. save me from this tangent <laughs> yeah i mean there's something to that i think I think there's something to people just like giving something a try that we are afraid of doing. And I include like my past self in that. Like there, there's definitely, I feel like a lot of my favorite things, especially like in my early twenties were things that in my late teens, I was like vehemently against, hmm. um, or like, I don't know, like, 
I like some of that like wacky hyper pop stuff where people are like auto tuned all to hell. And if you would have asked sixteen year old me what he thought about auto tune, he would have screamed at you for fifteen minutes about how it's <laughs> terrible. Um, awesome. Or I mean, like even like even like the concept of rap music. I I you know at some point, even though I listened to Lincoln Park endlessly as a child, like would have been like, oh, rap is mostly bad. Um, where, where nowadays I think that rap is mostly good. Um, so I, I think, I think now we should move into rectum. It was the, I think maybe the first thing of yours that I experienced, experienced, I'm, I'm looking through some of your other stuff and other tabs. And I think I maybe read the excerpt from transmissions. Um, how do you pronounce his name? Is it French? So it's like Arto. I think you've hit it okay. correctly. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think I think rectum was maybe like the first thing I consciously absorbed of yours, and I did so during a live stream when I was like very tired, uh, which I think is maybe the optimal way to do it. Um, Thank you for doing that. That was a total treat. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was wonderful of you to do. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the VOD doesn't exist anymore, but like for for the couple people who saw it, I think it was probably fun, and I, I certainly enjoyed it. So I would love to hear you talk about that project. It's a it's a a free game uh, that that cloak put out. Cool. Um... Before I do that, I just want to say I love your long-term projects. Um, I think all, you know, writing a book is a durational performance. Mm -hmm. I want to be as, you know, hoity-toity or whatever to say that. And um, I like that you're, you're showing your novel writing process. That's fascinating. And um, I have a question about that we can do on or off the air. Mm -hmm. And then um, also your your really long live stream was really, really cool because I loved it harkened back to those um, benefits mm -hmm. back in the day on public access where, you know, maybe a, a small celebrity would like, you know, take a phone call of yours and raise charity. I just I just loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I wasn't able to tune in. I think I had to work the overnight, but I did tune you it was saved for a little while and then yeah. um was able to look at parts of it. so that was cool thanks for doing that mm -hmm. um let's see so rectum um spelled uh, i guess just in case anybody doesn't know on the on who's listening w-r-e-c-k-d-o-m um let's see so how do i want to talk about it so Mike and I have a long-term goal of doing a project called Reverse Play. Um, the idea would be to somehow make the performance of a play, the writing side, and then the text itself, the actual play. It's, hmm. like I said, Joe, it, it, I tend to try to do too much at once. So, But when you operate uh, you know, with something that can't happen or that's a complete failure from the get-go from its premise, you end up doing interesting stuff. So I would highly encourage just to do the impossible constantly. But it, it, all of it's possible within, you know, certain scope. Anyway, so that was kind of a, a sort of, uh, I called it a study toward that process. Um, it was kind of random. I don't know. What else was there going on there? I was listening to a lot of Music is a huge influence, as you noted. So I was listening to a lot of Cemetery, 
uh, Joanna Newsome, mm. Nico's live albums, and something about that triangulation with like the thought of doing reverse play uh, started me. Oh, and rereading Hamlet and watching a couple of adaptations. And then knowing that reverse play takes place in flyover country, I wanted to do establish that milieu, um, you know, uh, in some kind of small way so I could kind of know what would be going to one day. Um, so that was, that was the thoughts going into rectum. And uh, I don't remember the initial email, but I learned about Mike's cloak project and I sent him the script and I was just like, this could be a cloak thing. And I didn't know what he would do. I kind of presumed he would do a play script. I have no idea because it's written like a, a play script. Um, in case anybody hears, my dog is giving me the business because I don't know. He just walked beforehand. But <laughs> anyway, um, can you hear him, by the way? Only a little bit every now and again. It's okay. texture. Okay. All right. Um, um so so did he do the yeah. rpg maker stuff or was that you a hundred percent him so fantastic this is really fun because i think it's a good example of how we work together like when i work with mike on something it feels like working on a play um like here's this kind of vision you know there's only so much i can control because you are in charge of your aspect of this production and for rectum specifically it felt like I had written a play, gave it to a director, and he staged it as a video game, and that's fantastic. So he did he did a wonderful job. I thought I thought it was totally trippy. Initially, it was written for um, an audience member of one in a storage container in the woods. So you would, in my dream, you would like get blindfolded, taken to this performance, and then. Uh, the play happens, it's like overwhelming, lots of lights, hyper poppy, etc. And then like the, everybody leaves and you leave the storage container and you're like, damn, I'm in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike did uh, a digital video game interpretation of that in the text and that's what it was. Fantastic. I like that. I, it's It was an interesting thing. Like the music loop was super short for how long you can spend in the game and um yeah i don't know it cloak is kind of mystifying to me i, I haven't engaged with enough of the work um which is probably why i'm i'm so mystified but like yeah there's there's just something about it that that intrigues me but mystifies me and i, I feel like a lot of the stuff in in this writing space i like is kind of like that where like I don't know if somebody were to ask me like what type of books does 1111 publish or inside the castle or you know apocalypse party or whatever I'd, I'd, I'd uh, not have a good answer um, even though I've been like constantly reading that stuff for a long time um, so let's talk about your your theater experience then too because i find that interesting and I, I think that clearly lends to how you do the writing thing which makes your output unique to you know the 
the space that we're in. Yeah, so um, it's a good question. Um, I want to be upfront and say, I feel like I would have wanted somebody to tell me this when I was younger, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, I, like, if, on paper, have kind of failed a lot along the way. Like, I wanted to go to theater. I wanted to go to a conservatory after high school. I, w I was lucky to have well-funded after-school programs, and it was a lifeline for me. Uh, so that was good. And I was, like, very serious about wanting to do the theater thing. But... Um, I was stubborn and I was like, there's no way I'm going to do it unless I get it for free or some kind of full, like helpful scholarship sort of thing. And I did not get in anywhere, ended up getting a degree in, um, uh, well, it's, uh, philosophy and, um, did not, I thought I was going to be a professor. I was like looking for answers and all this kind of stuff and found more questions and, kind of realized toward the end there that, you know, I actually had a wonderful, wonderful, uh, what do you call that? Um, gosh, academic advisor mm -hmm. uh, who, when I told him, I was like, okay, I think I want to follow in your steps. He, the, the look in his eyes was so sad. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, you really, you really, you know, should really be sure about this. And he didn't discourage, but it was implied and also I would have had to spend some extra money to do an accelerated language thing, et cetera. So mm -hmm. that was out of the picture, got a job. Um, and then, gosh, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, and then, you know, started acting for a, a small theater company called the Runaways Lab. At that time it was, the artistic director was Olivia Lilly. She was just a, a absolute shit kicker getting everything going for herself and you know just doing really interesting stuff in chicago and during that time i took one creative writing class in college that was really impactful to me so i've got to shout her out kathleen rooney um she's just she's a phenomenal teacher she um helps you do the thing you're doing better and she's very kind and i'm happy to call her a friend so that's cool um, so then in the midst of working at call centers, um, I think it was, you know, working at a call center, I tried to do the same thing with the theater thing that, uh, that I tried to do with the theater thing for creative writing and tried to only apply to fully funded MFA creative writing things and got rejected everywhere. And I remained stubborn and um, was like, well, uh, I guess I have a different lot in life and um so i feel really grateful that my life has led the way it did um so <laughs> that's the like worst warning of like okay i'll tell you about theater shit but i don't know what i'm talking about really like i don't know how to like do the business side that good um yeah so with that in mind yeah so the theater stuff has been is is probably the earliest like artistic thing I got into, just short of like hearing music in the womb or whatever. Um, 
it's it's always there i don't know why that is but it is so and yeah so how does that influence the writing maybe um wearing costumes wearing exploring the needs of a particular piece versus my own i think it makes me pretty fun to collaborate with because i like finding what people excel at and giving them a context in which they can excel and be pushed and all that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. Yeah. Does that help? Is that a good answer? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. I'm, I find, I don't know. Like, I guess I've not spent enough time considering like, I don't know, independent theater as a medium. Um, I have a friend who moved out to LA a couple years ago now, and he posts a lot of stuff on Instagram about like shows that he goes to, um, cause he's a, a writer director and a good one. Um, but, um, like, yeah, it's just like one of those things that I, I don't consider. And I'm still like in my interests, like tangentially, like close to like it seems like something i could get into pretty easily I, I find like performance art uh interesting um and i find um your your um idea for rectum the shipping container in the woods made me think of like extreme haunts um mm. which, which i i find endlessly fascinating as a big old scaredy cat when it comes to haunted attractions um or hell what's that um what's that company that does a mega mart that meow wolf i think it's called that like has that like space like i don't know like i feel like theater and like the definition of what theater is could take or maybe is taking already like a, a note from poetry where poetry is largely becoming like if i call it a poem then it is sort of thing um and obviously like a lot of times takes hints from its legacy um but is kind of unfettered by yeah. by what it used to be so um yeah i mean that's funny to, I, I didn't even consider when i started this thought that for a while my wife worked for a company that put on like uh like murder mystery theater productions at like dinners um at wow. restaurants and stuff um so like yeah like i don't know like i I'm at one I of those moments where I'm just like, you know what? This is a thing I should probably like dig into deeper. Um, that was extremely well said. Um, yeah. Thanks for summing it up in that way. I think that that's really illuminating. And um, yeah, I think theater is really interesting. Um, it has, and I love that you drew the comparison with, um, with poetry, certainly overlapping. Um I thought, like you said, yeah, exactly. That's a hundred percent right. Just call it theater, and then it becomes an interesting gesture. Mm -hmm. Like um, the, I don't know if she. I know her as a playwright. I don't know if she works in other forms, but the 
playwright Suzanne Laurie Parks did a performance in New York where she would write her plays publicly in like um, the storefront window of some building and on a typewriter and people could come and mess with her and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of interesting. But um, then there's like the storied like legacies of performance art itself. Like I think of that with like capital P, capital A. And it seems like a lot has been done there. Um, but um, theater, theater to me is in a really, it's like a ripe, ripe medium for exploration right now because i find like we're talking to each other through zoom and there's kind of like the stage picture and there's all this the, the the sort of like mediums of communication and of power right now operate for, through these hyper mediatized ways that that are extremely interesting um but theater has had a very hard time figuring out how to like thematize it or dramatize it and like also like respond like i think theater is inherently like extremely local it's very particular it's community driven it's like in a space with you know meet space at a particular time etc um so it's had some like i think growing pains in the last hundred years honestly trying to figure out what, what that guy walter benjamin called the age of mechanical reproduction you know cinema all these things that can be beamed around pretty easily and um, I think that that's partially due to its um, limitations as a form, like the productive limitations of it. But then also, like, why hasn't anybody, like, tried to stage a GIF? You know what I'm saying? There's some genuinely interesting new things that have happened in the last hundred years that I think theater, with a capital T, has had a hard time figuring out what it's going to do. With it and a lot of that has to do with monetary reasons if you own a theater you need to fill seats or you're screwed um so the smaller scale stuff um has is so right and um i would say two of the best plays of the 21st century came from poets like people trained as poets um joel mcsweeney's dead youth or the leaks it's fantastic it, like poetry and as you mentioned like it's referential to the past but completely new the like like short sentence summary of that is it's um julian assange has a boat of decaying children uh on uh, on the open seas and he needs to upload them to the internet uh before they completely decay um so that's one. And then the other one I would say is Ariana Reigns' Telephone, which is incredible. It's three acts. The first act is Alexander Graham Bell and his partner uh, discovering that they can communicate through a telephone. The second act is a Victorian woman who, um, I don't know exactly where the, where the, the, the um, firsthand text comes from, um, but it was a, a woman who had schizophrenia that we would call it today in the Victorian age, whose experiences of reality are hyper mediated and, and fucked with by the engaging the telephone. And then the third act is like a devastating relationship drama sent through iPhones. And it's, hmm. it feels like all, both of those plays feel historically significant in the trajectory of theater, but very few theater companies have done them because I think everyone's hyper-specialized and all this kind of stuff, so nobody knows it's happening. Um, so that, that's all to say, I think it's a really interesting form. Um, I see 
it is a useful thought form for engaging with art. Like, you know, like I'm very generous reader, like let people try things out, let them wear masks, let them fuck up, let them be outside themselves because it's painful to be ourselves all the time. So I don't know. So yeah, I, I'm very, I love the format and I love thinking of literature as a form of theater, not just in the writing aspect of it, but even in the reading um, and also in um, what's going on on the page. And okay, I have, I'd be remiss not to mention this too. Um, gosh, I think it's called Kenning's Editions. The late husband of Dodie Bellamy, for some reason his name is escaping me, he did an anthology of poets theater, like theater written by poets, duh, um, from the 20th century. And I was really excited to read it because, you know, I, I, as I've kind of mentioned, I think that this is a really, really fascinating form. And in the intro, which is really interesting, he's like, yeah, these a lot of these plays are kind of bad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I'll be the judge of that. And I read them and they they were pretty bad. They were like, kind of like um, milk toast domestic dramas for the most part and kind of low stakes stuff. So that blew my mind because the, the quality of plays being written by people from the literature ecosystem is extremely high right now. Uh, I've got a shout out. Judson Hamilton and Rowan Klausnick wrote a play called The Dead Birds for my theater company that we did in our Doing Drugs and Dying in Space ritual, which is a, uh, <laughs> a play festival based off that theme. It's fantastic. And they wrote a book that went to Plays and Verse. And Plays and Verse is a fantastic press doing uh, sort of like page typesetting, uh, literature forward theater uh, production texts. Um, they call so, it unperformable plays, I think, right? exactly but you should that's but that's a challenge like, it is a challenge but like and i think it's a good device for like telling you what it is but you can perform them like you you, you just need like an intervention from somebody who can like sit with it and be like well what can we do with this um if I'm talking too much, let me know. But, want, this you know. is your show, man. I'm just facilitating. But yeah, no, I, the only plays inverse thing I've read so far has been um, Mike Klein's 17 Pilot Fish, um, okay. which I liked a lot. Um, it was really, like, really early on in my journey into this kind of writing. So it was like, oh, okay, I see it. Like, because I had taken a screenwriting class in college. And so this was like two or three years outside of college that I had read it. And I was like, oh, that's cute how the name of the character changes because another character is like, and now you're the detective. Where like <laughs> in the text of a screenplay, like even if the audience doesn't know the character's name, the character's name is on the page because the actors need to know when I'm supposed to talk and what I'm supposed to say and do. So um, I like that. And then, you know, just like things that would be hard to perform fish appearing and disappearing. And I think like coming up through the floor and things well, like that. Mike told me that he performed that play in college and that it also had an off Broadway performance as well. Oh, uh, really? Led by the guy who, who um, put out the play, Tyler from the i don't know i've read his name i've not said it out loud so hmm. um but yeah no there's um yeah i mean it's impossible to do but it's there for you know a production team to interpret and i think um it's 
more generous with the production team than some of the more like blueprint for performance stuff that's kind of like controlling and so forth. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I got to shout out What Happens magazine, uh, curated by Bianca, I forget her last name, and Toby Altman. Uh, they do, uh, yeah, performance poet stuff uh, in a journal, and it, it's based off of a performance poet series that they were doing in Iowa City. Action books, especially some of their earlier stuff with like Olivia Cronk and Laura Blenheim, they were doing a bunch of like, uh, almost like, like their, their poems themselves feel extremely performative and like they're wearing costumes and stuff like that. Oh yeah, Johannes Jorensen, who we've had on here, yeah, his stuff too feels like he's he's trying on different different outfits as you go through the text, which mm -hmm. is fantastic. So I just wanted to point that out because it hasn't always been this good. I don't know why it's this good right now, but it is, and it's certainly an untapped field. So interesting, yeah. yeah I. I think, like, theater is something that, I mean, like, I was in, like, high school musicals for a couple years in high school, um, but I hadn't, like, I was not in choir, nor did I take theater classes, so I was, like, permanently relegated to the, the chorus to be an extra or whatever, um, and, like, while, you know, it got me comfortable with, like, singing in front of people and, like, dancing in front of people, um, you know, like it's very, you know, it's, it's doing hairspray. It's doing guys and dolls. It's which, you know, the fact that I did hairspray in, a, in a high school as a high schooler is actually pretty funny to me. Um, how I never would have guessed it, Joe. <laughs> no. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I did it. Like, I can't remember what got me to do it. Like when I was, so there's a, I think it still exists. There was a organization called Odyssey of the Mind that was for like middle schoolers. I think maybe high schoolers, but I, I only ever did it in middle school where the idea is that there's different categories and each category every year has a problem. And then you, you and your teammates make a play around that problem and then perform it, and then you get judged based on different criteria. Um, and I don't really know what the, anything else was. The The ones that we always did were the building ones, um, where you would build a structure out of balsa wood, and it would have to like retain weight without breaking. Um, and then you'd do a play around that. Um, and we did that. I did it for one year. Um, I was in sixth grade and my brother was in eighth grade. So it was like me and a bunch of eighth graders. Um, and we ended up getting to like the world level and we got like ninth in the world. Um, so I think that probably just like made me feel like I was good at theater at a young age. Um, when wow. in reality it was my brother is good at engineering. <laughs> and because it was him making the balsa wood structure and the rest of us doing the play. Um, and he's very good at that and now makes good money being a chemical engineer so you know i i think i think it it steered both of our life trajectories in its own way um and i wow. you, know, you know i consider podcasting to be performing to an extent and um i'm not like super different off the air but it's you know there's like an onness that you need to to do these sorts of things anyway so 
I can't remember exactly where I was going, but like, um, yeah, like the performative nature of, of literature. And I think, I think really this just means I need to pay more attention to theater. <laughs> I think this is what, what, what we're coming to is I need to, for my own sake, um, do that. It's all smoke and mirrors, Joe. And, um, uh that that's wonderful and um there is a tendency especially in this cult of the individual to be like oh well it was my brother who made that performance but no the theater is a great place to be like no it's actually all the parts together it is irreducible to any one element um sure you could be like wow noisemaker was freaking awesome in that performance and stood out among the few but it took the other people falling over each other you know farting and dying on stage to make you look really really good um so it's a fun medium because yeah i i find it to be irreducible and that's that's the fun thing it's the it's the spectacle of it and um yeah yeah that that makes a lot of sense you should write a play i would love to read it maybe i will after NaNoWriMo is done <laughs> Uh, it's killing me this month, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it's an interesting thing. I remember there was the same year in college. I took the screenwriting class. I was also taking creative writing class the same, uh, semester. And we had like a tiny unit on playwriting. And while the screenwriting instructor was dead set on impressing upon us that like, the formatting of the script is like the most important thing you need to be worrying about right now as a screenwriting 101 person um because he he was like not an academic he was like a guy who was in film for a while and then came to grand rapids for whatever reason or allendale to to teach this class and he was like if the margins are wrong it gets thrown out if the you know, if the heading is wrong, if the title page is wrong, it gets thrown out. And like large, he, he did not grade us on the content of our screenplays, but rather on, is it stapled correctly? Is it, you know, in the right typeface? Is the font the right size? Um, and then in the creative writing class, they're like, all right, guys, write a play. And I was like, okay, how, what, what is the format? Please tell me. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I think, you know, being given the the permission um by reading 17 pilot fish and and talking to you to like not have to worry about that so hard is is good and i'll take it and do that excellent that's that's great to hear and um you know you can always incorporate that experience of a really really sticklerish uh format into your process as a generative uh means too you know yeah uh, yeah because there's because yeah, there's like apps like celtics that mm. will like do the formatting for you um and thank god because when i was like was writing a short film for a for a, a group of friends one time like using that eased a lot of my anxiety um i think i, I want to talk about your um, transmissions to Arto from self fuck um, okay. because I have read the the excerpt that he published on the site but I have not 
read the full piece. Um, but I, and, and don't know too much about, about Arto, but I feel like it, um, plays into this because I, I'm, I'm aware of like two things about him that he's the, uh, theater of cruelty guy and that he didn't like Jewish people very much. Like that's what I know about him. Um, I also see his name bandied around a lot, so he must be influential to our people. Yeah. Um, to be fair, uh, Arto is somebody, um, although I have a book dedicated to him <laughs> in like writing letters, he, he's someone that really confuses me. And, um, um, what is there to say about him? He's a beautiful writer. His, his, his writing is extremely, extremely powerful, uh, and was very influential on the surrealists and, and in his French milieu. Um, there's a fantastic interview with Grant Mayerhofer where he mentions, you know, Arto would have been extremely unpleasant to be around. And I always think about that. Like, I, like he, I don't, I don't know why that seems important or whatever, but, um, Arto. His books are, his essays are really, really interesting. I love how he attacks the essay. His his works feel very performative. Um, he feels like um, elitist in this way that I find very uh, attractive and funny. Like, um, like he knows exactly what he wants and he's gonna get it. Um, and again, he probably wouldn't have been um, pleasant to be around but i enjoy reading his stuff i wish i had something smarter to say about <laughs> him um his his thoughts okay what is it with arto he was a deeply troubled man and the way he wrote about industrialized france um felt very prophetic at the time it feels like the way he talks about like for instance I'm not super well read on Deleuze and Guattari either, but they took the concept of the body without organs from his final play text. So it was going to be performed for radio. Then it wasn't. And then it was eventually. And it, it, he's got a fun storied life filled with gossip and people who hated him. And then he left that group and then all this kind of crazy stuff. So he's got a, a fun cult of personality around him. But why, why Arto? Oh yeah. He wrote about theater and plague, which felt uh, relevant during COVID. He's like, theater's genesis is in the plague. Uh, you can look at things like Oedipus and they're trying to blame somebody for all their ills and sicknesses and then prophecies happen. Um, yeah, I, I think Arto is a really beautiful writer. Um, his ideas about the theater of cruelty I find very fun because, again, they feel kind of impossible to do. Um, Maggie Nelson wrote a pretty interesting book called The Art of Cruelty. I presume that the cruelty, I mean, she's, it's a meditation on cruelty throughout the 20th century and art practice and so forth. And um, of course, Artaud is a, a central figure in that. And she <laughs> asked this really funny question where she's like, what would Artaud, I'm probably butchering this, but this is the way I remember it. She's kind of like, what would Artaud say if he went and saw Independence Day? or like mm -hmm. Con Air, or the latest Nolan film, would he be like, yes, this is exactly what I was hoping for? And I see why she asked the question, and I think it's a productive one. Although I think, again, it returns to the medium for me. Theater is a very specific thing. And again, I don't really think 
it has um, molted into what it could be for for our era. And um, I have to shout out um, Monica Bellavon, who is a dramaturg and writer uh, based, I think, in the Bay Area right now. She um, is working on a book called... Um, Gosh, I guess I shouldn't announce her other books so, unless she wants to. So never mind on that. But she writes a lot about Artaud as being a really interesting figure for thinking about um, our times through a theatrical prism. Um, so, yeah, that was me avoiding the question again. But, yeah, I think Artaud is interesting and um, I like his writing. So that's probably what I should have said. Cool. Well, that's fine. I think um, uh, I'm not I'm not a huge one of my big blind spots is like the French philosophy thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think I've said the name Bataille more than I've read words by mm-hmm. him. Um, which is, you know, at least I can admit it. Um, I, like I acknowledge uh, the, the Francophile uh, bent in contemporary philosophy like it it seems like a lot of people really like those guys and i think i should probably read them um like i haven't read any Deleuze either um uh and so uh, that is all to say that i'm unclear on the on the theater of of cruelty uh which is fine because it has made me think of a thing about like art house theater um that I think also transfers well to a lot of um, art, uh, particularly the landscape of writers that we're in, uh, certain types of music, um, which is to say that it like the performance of it is adversarial to the audience. Um, I think about uh, there's the episode in the show Spaced, uh, where they go to like an art house theater thing and it's like very like what a boomer thinks contemporary theater is everyone's in face paint and they're like honking clown horns and they're screaming the same words over and over and over and just kind of hopping up and down and they're in a black room and then every afterwards everyone drinks cocktails and talks about how like interesting and deep it was um uh but i i I like to think about the idea of, of a work being adversarial to the viewer um, because I think there's a lot of like good you can do with that. Um, you can like force someone to challenge their preconceptions or you can just like um, the, the artist Brian Lewis Sanders, who's famous for doing self-portraits, um, also has done like stand-up tragedy, which is, you know, just like, instead of going up and telling jokes, I'm going to go up and tell stories that make people feel bad. Um, which is something I find interesting, but I also find, you know, that there are people who do it maybe to be, um, elitist or gatekeeper-y, like you can't handle, (laughs) you can't handle my art because I put in a whole bunch of sexual assaults in it. And that's on you for not being able to handle it or whatever. Um, and so I, I'm just curious as, as we're, we're up against an hour, like what your, 
relationship with the audience is in all of the forms that your media has taken? Super good question. And you're one day you need to do a super cut of all of just you talking on this show, because that would be really interesting. Cause I feel like, yeah, you, you have a, a, a really indelible way of putting things together in ways that is just so crystal clear and um, just wonderful. So thank you for saying that. Um, oh, sure. So the question was the relationship with the audience. Um, it's changed over time. Um, something, how do I want to talk? Cause it is, you're right. It is different. It, different mediums, uh, require different approaches for sure. Something that I've consciously done in the couple of interviews that I did about Crystal Lake, I pretty self-consciously gave different explanations about where it came from. Um, and part of the format came from knowing that perhaps the only people that might ever read it um, would be family members. Mm. And so that required, um, at least, at least it made me feel like I should like uh, maybe do some uh, costumery over like plot and things that are going on so that they're like, wait, is that something I said or is that, is that, what is he talking about there? That, that, that has a weird ring to it or whatever. And now the, perhaps one of the like most tangibly great things about Crystal Lake coming out is that I know they, they, they don't read it really. They like look at it and are like, good job. So that's, that's really good. So that, that particular audience is um, taken care of and that's, that's a good thing. Um, and um, in terms of audience, um, I, I do like to mess with the audience. I, I really do. I don't like to over overdo it. I think a little mix between. I like. I like. Yeah. I like a mix of sensibilities. Okay. Here's something I said in the Arto book that is dead ass serious. Okay. Um, when I'm working on a play, I often feel like I'm tra time traveling back to the present to sort of figure out what it was that I experienced and how to, how to achieve those images and feelings. Um, so I sort of approach the plays as a, as an audience member, like what, what would send me on a journey and, um, a bit of dissonance is, is good. And, um, I like people to feel well taken care of a hundred percent. Um, and sometimes, Exquisite suffering is a part of being taken care of.
Sheriff on San Juan. We need to make a priority evacuation now, Mark West Springs area. Copy. We all have to evacuate the hill, so we're coming off now. <laughs> Units up on the hill, be advised. Porter, uh, correction. Mark West is nearly impassable at this point.